Portions of this podcast may not be suitable for children. It's real-life stories and sometimes PG-13. Honest and courageous people have very little to say about either their courage or their honesty. Hosea Balao. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Hear true life stories, portable insight, and engaging messages. On this show, we'll think twice about life, faith, and just what could be possible when the two are combined. Broadcasting from the beautiful Great Lakes state of Pure Michigan, here's your host, Dan Henderson. Hey, thanks for checking out our show. This episode is entitled, Dodging Death Ain't Natural. This episode will feature three short stories. Kevin, attacked at knife point in his home. Randy, literally dodged death after a strange phone call from a loved one. And Brian, a U.S. soldier, miraculously spared from a rocket attack. Being that this is the first episode, I wanted to explain why I wanted to start this podcast. There's something I always love about true stories. One of my favorite movies is The Blind Side. The Michael Orr story, he's an NFL lineman. He was a poor young man from the inner city. Uh, taken in and loved by an upper-class family who adopted him and loved him and helped him overcome his past, and he developed into a star athlete. Another one is 127 Hours. Don't know that one? It's about a canyoneer daredevil, Aaron Ralston's story of choosing life or death when he became trapped by a boulder on a remote excursion. He makes this impossible choice of cutting off his own arm to escape with his life. Some of the stories we're going to hear today are just as extreme and come right down to life and death. So let's go ahead and get into it. Our first story is from Kevin Ramsby, a pastor and family man from Detroit, Michigan. He made national headlines when he chose to publicly forgive his attacker. How did he come to forgive this menacing burglar turned murderous? Let's find out in Kevin's story. My name is Kevin Ramsby. A few years back, uh, my life was completely changed. Um, a man broke into my home at 3 o'clock in the morning. I heard the sound of breaking glass. I raced down the stairs. And when I raced to the bottom of the stairs, a man came around the corner and I jumped to, uh, to try to tackle him. And in doing so, he had a knife and his first um, stab went into my abdomen. From there, we fought for a brief amount of time until I fell on the ground. Um, after that, he jumped on top of me with his knife, still straddled me and began stabbing me um, over and over again. Um, a, a total of 37 times I ended up being stabbed by this man. When I felt God was farthest from me, one of the ways I realized he was closer is when the police detectives and the people who uh, came into the crime scene cleaned it up. They began to ask me, how did I get, do I remember getting from my kitchen to my neighbor's porch? Reason being was, there was something missing. Um, I had passed out in a pool of blood and they saw that I had to stand there and use the walls to um, balance myself to get to my feet. And, um, but, but while I was 100% covered in blood, um, there was no footprints or drops of blood from my kitchen to uh, my neighbor's porch. And um, they often wondered how could that be? And I really don't have any answer to that. Um, all I could really conclude is that, again, that, that God was somewhere helping me um, that night. I had given up on living, but then all of a sudden when I heard the words, they still need you, when I was praying my final prayers, um, I was able to get up and get out, and I thank God for that. The doctors had all said uh, I wouldn't survive, 
Um, it really is a miracle just through the whole course of the night. Um, the fact that I heard the attacker break in um, during the fight, the knife breaking, um, even how I could get up and get out of the house, um, had thought I was paralyzed. Um, it was just truly, um, really a God's hand was upon it. In the moment though, um, I really felt God had left me and was far away from me. I had prayed at the lowest point during the fight when I felt I was paralyzed, was laying on the ground. Um, I had prayed and asked God to let me know that He knew I was here. And after praying that prayer, I'd asked for angels or lights or some sign. Um, I felt God nowhere around. Um, and after that, um, I realized that God was a lot closer than I ever had thought. When people began to share with me this, the, the facts, the evidence of my survival and how if one wound would have been a little bit off or deeper, how my life could have been ruined. Um, so it's amazing how when sometimes we feel God is so far from us, He really is closer than we ever th thought. I think my life really found victory in the area of forgiveness when I faced Him in the court and in trial. And when they finally had sentenced him in the sentencing, they asked me to give a victim statement. And I said, and I told them I won't give a victim statement, I'll give a life statement. And in my life statement, I shared how not only had I forgiven him, but God has a plan for his life. And at any point in time, he would ever want to discover God or find God or grow in God, that I would be there for him. And since then, I've reached out to him and am continuing to pray that God would get a hold of his life. The Bible says that offenses, hurts, and wounds are going to come into our lives. And so it's something that we already know it's going to happen. Every single one of you and every single person has faced it. If you're struggling with forgiveness, the starting point on the journey is back to the cross of Christ. It's looking at Him and His forgiveness for you. That's where you start. Um, and, and if you've never have started that journey, it's just by simply saying a little prayer and opening your heart up to Him and just coming just as you are and asking God to forgive you for your sins. And when you do so, He's faithful to forgive us of them all. Oftentimes forgiveness is viewed as a journey. It's a long process. I, I kind of equate it to more of a 15 round boxing fight. It's more of a fight than it is a journey. Journey is just kind of like you walk through it and you eventually get to the destination, but what I've discovered is it is really a fight. It's a fight against your emotions, your feelings, your memories, um, the thoughts of retaliation and revenge. Um, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty journey, um, and it can get really messy at times. And so, forgiveness, the starting point, is your own personal forgiveness. This incredible story has been told on TV news and well-known cable networks. He's written a book that goes into further detail about his experiences and his fight to forgive. You can find that book at kevinramsby.com. There's also a link in the show notes. Our next story is from Randy Don. He's a well-known public speaker and youth minister in Michigan. He's charismatic, funny, and intense. He's going to tell us about the night he literally dodged death. I was up in Indian River and I had to come home uh, because I couldn't find a hotel. I had just got done ministering to these youth uh, at a youth rally and I couldn't find any place to stay. I stopped at McDonald's, got something to eat and thought, well, it's about a five hour journey. I think I can make this. As I was traveling, I just, when music was playing, 
Uh, my mind was drifting. I was starting to fall asleep a little bit. I was almost about an hour away from where I'm actually going to be home. And um, I get this phone call out of nowhere. And, and we didn't have the phones like we have now with the little mouse and I can just see who it is or voice recognition. So I pick it up and I, hello, hello, and it's my dad. And this is about three o'clock in the morning. And as I'm like, dad, what are you doing calling me? So whatever you're doing, I don't know what's happening. Get as far over left as you can. Just go left now. And as I move three lanes over, 75 is three lanes. As I move over where the off ramp is, where I would exit, here comes a car in reverse, backwards towards me, driving in reverse, just coming at me, furious, like angry. I don't even know what's happening. And it just passes right by me. It just missed me in the third lane all the way left. See, I was traveling in the third lane so far right that I would have been in the path of this outrage. I said to my dad, Dad, you won't believe what just happened. Uh, the, the car went by me. I could have been killed. I, I could have got hit, Dad. And Dad, what are you doing? Like, what, what happened here? And he began to explain how God woke him up and said, call your son now. He needs help. And as I began to call you, son, I just realized that, you know what? I just want to call you just to tell you I love you, but do what I'm asking you to do. And at that moment, I realized that even though my dad had a period of time in my life where we were estranged from each other, that moment connected us in spirit. And I knew no matter where I'd travel, how I'd go, where I would go in life, that my father at least would be the greatest prayer partner that I had. And so it turned around from this zero in my life to maybe becoming one of the heroes in my life. And that night my father through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, rescued my life from maybe not being here to be able to even tell you my story. Randy continues to be in the life-changing business as he leads a vibrant ministry. To find out more about Randy or book him to speak at your church or business, go to randydon.org. There's also links in the show notes. Our final story today comes from a personal friend of mine. Brian is still active in the U.S. Army, a husband and father of three. He told me the story and even showed me the jagged piece of shrapnel that nearly took him out. However, had it not been for the guiding hand of God, he knows he would not be here today. Let's listen to Brian's story. I deployed to Kandahar Airfield in 2011. I had a daily habit of praying each morning and asking God to direct my path and my steps throughout the day. On the evening of January 19, 2011, God did that literally. After a long day at work, I headed to evening chow at the Monty Dining Facility. Now the dining facility is pretty full and crowded this time of the day and I was looking for an empty seat. I thought to myself that I would go to one of the tables in the back of the DFAC because there's usually room in the back of the building. I saw an empty spot and began to walk to the table. Before I got there, however, I spotted another empty seat just a few feet away from where I was going to sit. So I decided to sit there instead. The seat that I chose was located right beside a half wall about 10 or 15 feet from where I originally was going to sit. About 10 minutes later, there was an explosion. I saw the flash of the fireball and felt the shock wave of the blast. As I was trained to do, I immediately laid down on the floor in case there was another explosion. At first, I thought it was a suicide bomber because I never heard a rocket alarm. Later, I learned that it was indeed a rocket attack, but the alarm never went off to warn us. Immediately after the blast, I felt myself and discovered that I had been hit with shrapnel and was wounded, but I would survive. The half wall that I was sitting beside 
shielded me from the majority of the rocket shrapnel. However, the people sitting on the other side of the wall were severely injured. There was even one young soldier that was sitting about 10 or 15 feet away from me that was killed instantly. When I looked at the hole in the ceiling that the rocket had created, I noticed that it was right over the table and the seat that I was initially planning on sitting at. I believe that God indeed directed my path and my steps that night inside the dining facility. It was not my time to go. God had other plans for my life, and it's my responsibility to obey His will and His direction for my life. Brian is not alone in his belief that those who walk with God will be guided by Him. I too have had similar experiences, and I'll share those in a later episode. Brian's story is available in dramatic video format, and check the show notes to watch it. Anyone can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. It's time for the absolute basics of the Christian faith from Seedbed.com. Answering those burning questions like who is God, what is salvation, and many more. So, let's take a bite. The absolute basics of the Christian faith. Who is God? The Trinity is one of the most important theological ideas ever, but it gives people panic attacks when they think about it. So this chapter will give you the building blocks you need to understand what the Trinity is and why it matters so much. God is three persons who have existed for all eternity, are all equally powerful, wise, and good, and have always depended on each other. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit existing in perfect harmony as one God. So how can this be? How can you have three things that exist perfectly together as one? Well, here's the thing. If you can understand a tiny bit about how music works, you can understand the basics of the Trinity. So find a piano, pick any white key, and put your thumb on it, then skip a white key and put your index finger on the next one, then skip one more and put your middle finger on the next white key. Now press down your thumb, index finger, and middle finger, and boom, there's a harmonic chord. Three distinct sounds, all existing in a perfect harmony. Three things that are also one thing. The threeness and the oneness work perfectly together. This gives us a picture, rather a sound, of what God is like. There is one God, like the one chord, with three persons, like the three notes, all existing in perfect harmony forever. So unlike the chord, which we just played, which came into being, then ceased to exist, the three persons of the Trinity have always existed. They've always existed in the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has always been Father to the Son. You can't be a Father without a Son. The Son has always been Son to the Father and they've always been unified by the love of the Spirit. What this means is the most basic fact of all reality is loving relationship. Before there was a world, there was a family, the family of the triune God. So when you get down to the very bottom of things, to the root of all reality, there's love. C.S. Lewis makes this interesting point in Mere Christianity. He writes, All sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. So the fact that God is perfectly loving requires that God is relational. And the opposite is also true. The fact that God is relational requires that God is perfectly loving. And here's why. If God is triune, we know that God is love because you can't have three people existing for all eternity in harmonious relationship if they aren't perfectly loving. 
Imagine existing for all eternity with your brothers and sisters, or even your friends. Eventually you get into some fights. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they don't fight. We know that God is love because God is a trinity. And we know that God is a trinity because God is love. So the trinity is this perfect loving relationship that's always existed. One God and three persons. The Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith from Seedbed.com I would like to thank Seedbed.com and Dr. Philip Talon for allowing us to use some of the segments from the Absolute Basics of the Christian Faith. You know, on audio, they are very descriptive, but they're even more amazing to see on video format. Uh, what they do is they have a book opened where they have um, an artist rendering these drawings and animating them to what is being told over the audio. So go to seedbed.com backslash confirmation. That takes you to the, the page that will show you all about this incredible series. Uh, I love this series because I am a visual learner. I love the drawings because they're very well made, they're funny, they keep your attention, and they help you learn these uh, truths that they kind of sink in a little bit more once you have that picture in your head of what they're actually talking about. You're listening to the Think Twice TV podcast. Many of the stories you've heard today are available in video format at our website, www.thinktwicetv.com. Find original videos, true life stories, and content to help you grow your faith at thinktwicetv.com. It's time for a bottle of Bill's Wisdom, a short single-serving message of wisdom from our friend, Pastor Bill Leach. John Blanchard stood up from the bench, straightened his army uniform, and studied the crowd of people making their way through Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he didn't, the girl with the rose. His interest in her had begun 13 months before in a Florida library. Taking a book off the shelf, he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and insightful mind. In front of the book, he found the previous owner's name, Miss Hollis Maynell. With time and effort, he located her address. She lived in New York City. He wrote her a letter introducing himself and inviting her to correspond. The next day, he was shipped overseas for service in World War II. During the next year and one month, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding. Blanchard requested a photograph, but she refused. She felt that if he really cared, it wouldn't matter what she looked like. When the day finally came for him to return from Europe, they scheduled their first meeting. 7 o'clock p.m. at Grand Central Station in New York. You'll recognize me, she wrote, by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock p.m. he was in the station looking for a girl whose heart he loved, but whose face he'd never seen. I'll let Mr. Blanchard tell you what happened. A young woman was coming toward me, her figure long and slim. Her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were as blue as flowers. 
Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I started toward her, entirely forgetting to notice she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small, provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I I took one step closer to her, and then I saw Miss Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl, a a woman well past 40, pretty young. Uh, (laughs) But I suppose to a 20-something it wasn't that young. She had graying hair tucked under a worn hat. She was more than plump, her thick-ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The green suit was walking quickly away. I, I felt as though I was split in two, so keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my own. And there she stood, her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. I I didn't hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something precious, something perhaps even better than love, a, a friendship for which I had been and must always be grateful. I squared my shoulders and saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Hollis Maynell. I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a tolerant smile. I don't know what this is about, son, she answered. But the young lady in the green suit who just went by begged me to wear this rose on my coat, and she said if I were to ask you to dinner, I should tell you she is waiting for you in the big restaurant across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Pretty smart, wasn't she? (laughs) Tell me whom you love, Hausei wrote, and I will tell you who you are. Can I repeat that? Tell me who you love, and I will tell you who you are. You know, who and what we love has always been the test with God, isn't it? That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbor as we love ourselves. You might say it's God's test. It's the test to measure the depth of our character. It's the same kind of test that Hollis Maynell used with John Blanchard. The rejected of the world wear the roses. Sometimes we, like John Blanchard, have to adjust our expectations. Sometimes we have to re-examine our motives. Had he turned his back on what he considered at the moment unattractive, he would have missed the love of his life. Learn the basics of the faith. Download our free mini book. It includes the ABCs with God, True and False with the Bible, and much more. 
To get the mini book free, go to thinktwicetv.com and click on mini book or contact us with your mailing address and we'll mail you a copy. The next episode of the Think Twice TV podcast is entitled From Criminal to Christian, The David Michael Story, Leaving Prison for Purpose, Brian's Story, Prison Prayer Changes Direction, and Freddie's Story, Former Chicago Gang Member Sees the Light. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. This venture is sponsored by Media Messengers Evangelistic Association, revealing the love and power of God through media www.mediamessengers.org. If you like the show, follow us on social media and please help us reach more people. All our social links are in the show notes.